0: Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon Podcast, Season 2, Episode 13. During the previous podcast, we discovered helpful information in Healman, Chapter 6. It listed some of the promises and oaths of those that chose to live under the rules of a secret society. As we discuss a well-known encounter found at the end of chapter 9, knowing this information will help us understand in a different way a well-known encounter between the Judges and Siantum found at the end of the chapter. But first, for these new perspectives to be made clear, we'll need to take a closer look at two different groups of characters in this chapter. One is the wicked Judges of Zarahemla. The second is a lesser-known group of five people who went to a prophesied murder scene. I'll refer to these five people as the five from here on out. As we approach chapter 8, here's a quick rundown of what's happened. Seven years have passed since Nephi relinquished the judgment seat. He has returned from the land northward and arrived home to his nativity, the city of Zarahemla. Upon doing so, he's discovered the integrity and morality of his people have continued to deteriorate. The laws have been corrupted, government positions are held by immoral, self-centered leaders. They condemn the righteous because of righteousness. Let the guilty and the wicked go because of their money, and more importantly, those same officials are unlawfully held in positions at the head of the government, not to support the law, but rather to rule and do according to their wills. Doing so allows them to get gain, glory of the world, more easily commit adultery, steal, and kill. Nephi is greatly distraught about these conditions, so he pours out his heart to God while up on his garden tower. He attracts a crowd as those stop and marvel at such a sight. Nephi sees the crowd and takes the opportunity to call the people to repentance. He warns them of a looming destruction of their city and publicly calls out the judges for being heavily involved with the ban of Gantianton. As he does so, he also announces little-known details of their secret works and uncovers their crimes. So with that synopsis under our belt, we arrive at Helaman 8, 1-4. These verses give a closer look at the behaviors and inner workings of the corrupt judges. And now it came to pass, when Nephi had said these words, Behold, there were men who were judges who also belonged to the secret band of Gadianton, and they were angry. And they cried out against him, saying unto the people, Why do you not seize this man, and bring him forth, that he may be condemned according to the crime which he has done? Why seest thou this man, and hearest him revile against this people, and against our law? For behold, Nephi had spoken unto them concerning the corruptness of their law. Yea, many things did Nephi speak which cannot be written. And nothing did he speak which was contrary to the commandments of God. And those judges were angry with him, because he spake plainly unto them concerning their secret works of darkness. Nevertheless, they durst not lay their hands upon him, for they feared the people, lest they should cry out against them. After I wrote this out, I got a better feel for these prideful, corrupted judges. Instead of feeling confident about holding positions as government leaders, they knew they weren't serving the people in upright leaders, so they felt insecure and threatened. Their first impulse was not to repent, but to get rid of that risk Nephi posed. Although they were angry and had power to do what they wanted, they also knew Nephi had done nothing to warrant a government-initiated arrest. However, because they knew the laws, they also knew how to get around them. So... What was the next best thing? To rile up the people. They knew of a law that was made about 50 years earlier that stated a man could be punished for their crimes. There was no law set against a man's belief. However, it seemed in this situation, if you provoke the people to act, you could be accused of breaking a law. It doesn't make sense to me now, but it helps to remember the laws at this time had been corrupted. But I can understand at this point another reason why the judges would see riling up the crowd was a viable option. Stirring up the crowd served as a great diversion. Listen as they continue trying to abate the pressure Nephi puts on them. Verses 5 and 6. Why do you suffer this man to revile against us? For behold, he doth condemn all this people, even unto destruction, yea, and also, that these are great cities shall be taken from us, that we shall have no place in them? And now we know that this is impossible. For behold, we are powerful, and our cities great, therefore our enemies can have no power over us. What happens next is something I've tried to skip over several times as I've prepared for this podcast. But I can't help myself. I just can't ignore such a great lesson. So, bear with me as I give space to this small but very important moment in the Scriptures. Picture this. We're standing in a crowd of heated, hostile people. The judges have succeeded in stirring them up. The situation is escalating. The people around us are complaining and angry and making a plan to take Nephi down. Then, above all the combative noise, we hear, Let this man alone! For he is a good man, and those things which he saith will surely come to pass, except we repent. Yea, behold, all the judgments will come upon us, which he has testified unto us. For we know that he has testified all right unto us concerning our iniquities. And behold, they are many, and he knoweth as well all things which shall befall us, as he knoweth of our iniquities. Yea, and behold, if he hath not been a prophet, he could not have testified concerning these things. And it came to pass that those people who sought to destroy Nephi were compelled because of their fear, that they did not lay their hands on him. Therefore he began again to speak to them, seeing that he had gained favor in the eyes of some, insomuch that the remainder of them did fear. Because the people in the crowd combated their fears and spoke up, Nephi was able to continue teaching and testifying. Those that spoke up knew they weren't exactly the cream of the crop, but they stood for what was right anyway the voice of those that recognize truth and the need to repent, spoke up. Never underestimate the power of standing for what's right. As much as you might feel afraid and don't completely feel exemplary, speaking up for what's right is powerful. It does make a difference. Sorry to get off track, but I just love lessons within lessons in the scriptures. Okay, on we go. Back to the crowd, back to the judges, back to Nephi. Time to meet the five. We first meet the five at the beginning of chapter 9. After announcing the murder of the chief judge, we read in verse 1, Behold, now it came to pass when Nephi had spoken these words, certain men who were among them ran to the judgment seat, yea, even there were five who went. The first hundredth time I read this verse, I always pictured the five as a random group of people that popped up out of the crowd and volunteered to go see if what Nephi said really happened. But as I continued to write out the story, I soon saw this group of five in a whole different light. This group of five weren't just a random bunch of five people that volunteered to go and see. On the contrary, I believe they were hand-picked by the judges themselves. They chose five people they knew they could trust. They could trust him to witness the scene at the judgment seat and report back to them. I came to this conclusion because of the clues I found first in verse 12 and then 15. We are told verses through 10 through 12 there was a gathering for the burial of the murdered chief judge. The group of judges that were called out by Nephi and attempted to stir up the crowd attended this gathering and while there inquired about the five. Here was the answer they received. And they answered and said, Concerning this five whom you say you have sent, We know not, but there are five who are the murderers whom we have cast into prison, whom ye say ye have sent. Okay, okay, okay. I gave this verse the benefit of a doubt. I thought maybe the people answering just assumed the judges sent the five because they showed interest in their whereabouts. But then, a few verses later, when the five were let out of prison and were recounting their experience to these same judges, I wrote this. Now, as for the murder of this man, we know not who has done it. And only this much we know. We ran and came according as ye desired. And behold, he was dead, according to the words of Nephi. As the five were reporting back directly to the judges, they said to their faces, We ran and came according as ye desired. As my son-in-law says, Boom goes the dynamite. There's the connection. The five had connections to the judges. They weren't just random volunteers. I know I've emphasized the importance of consistently seeing all possibilities that are not written, but we need to also pay closer attention to what is written. Although they are not always easy to find, discovering clues that made a connection to the people I hadn't considered gave me a better grasp on what was happening in stories I thought I knew. So what is it about the Five? For me, this group of people, what they encounter and how fast they change in such a short period of time is compelling. Let's take a closer look. In verse 2 and the beginning of 3 were first given insight to the five, what they thought and opinions they expressed about Nephi being a prophet. They said these things to one another as they headed towards the judgment seat. We read, Behold, now we'll know of a surety whether this man be a prophet, and God hath commanded him to prophesy such marvelous things unto us. Behold, we do not believe that he hath, yea, we do not believe that he is a prophet, Nevertheless, if this thing which he has said concerning the chief judge be true, that he be dead, then will we believe the other words which he has spoken are true. And it came to pass that they ran in their might and came to the judgment seat. First of all, I love that the scriptures give us a description of how they got to their destination. They ran in their might. They didn't walk or lollygag. They ran in their might. When I think way back to the times I ran in my might... I was usually feeling pretty excited to get where I was running. So I'm thinking these guys were probably pretty eager to get to their destination as well. I also love and encourage you to take note to these verses and notice that they also give us some of the conversation they had while on their way. It's important to remember when we read in the scriptures, most all the time, when more than one person is going somewhere together, there's always conversation. So, after reviewing the conversation of the five, what can we determine they anticipated arriving at the judgment seat? All I can say is the reality far outweighed their expectations. We are told exactly what the reaction was and why it was in verse 4 and 5. And now, when they saw this, they were astonished exceedingly, insomuch that they fell into the earth, for they had not believed the words which Nephi had spoken concerning the chief judge. But now, when they saw, they believed, and fear came upon them, lest all the judgment which Nephi had spoken should come upon the people. Therefore, they did quake and had fallen to the earth. Prior to this time, I love to imagine the five as people comfortable in their beliefs and pretty sure of themselves. They were not expecting to see what they did at all. Did you remember the importance of words used in the scriptures? They were put there for a reason. Here was a great example. We see the five were astonished at what they saw. Nope. We read they were exceedingly astonished. They weren't just surprised. They were totally blown away. This group of confident, self-assured individuals were completely blindsided. This was the last thing they thought would happen. Yet, although they were frightened about what lied in their future, they all immediately believed in Nephi's words. Despite having connections to the judges and disbelieving Nephi was a prophet, they didn't stand at the scene and conjure up how Nephi must have had some connection to this crime. Instead, they instantly knew he was a prophet. What an upheaval of emotions they've had! Going from feeling excitement to being stopped dead in their tracks. From astonishment and then to darkness. And now, waking up in prison accused of murder? Can you imagine what might have crossed their minds? Maybe something like this. What? We were asked to go check something out for the judges. We got here as fast as we could. We were overcome because of what we saw. Next thing we know, we're all in jail accused of murder? We've been double-crossed. Notwithstanding their concerns of falsely being accused of murdering the chief judge, they kept their word and now were convinced Nephi was a prophet of God. The five allowed a change of heart to happen despite their worrisome circumstances. Soon enough, these changed hearts were liberated from prison. We are told later in the chapter that they were converted in prison. I'm not sure all went down while they were there, But the one thing I do know is the five came out ready to defend the prophet Nephi. After the five were liberated, they reported their experience to the judges. After hearing the report from the five they thought they could trust, we soon see the judges were undeterred by the account given by the five. They were not swayed that Nephi was a prophet, rather choosing to believe the account, they chose to rationalize Nephi's knowledge of the death of the chief judge as more of a conspiracy and not a prophecy. So with this as their only incentive, the judges cried out against Nephi and accused him of agreeing with another to slay the chief judge. They saw this as an opportunity to stay within the law and accuse Nephi of being an accomplice to murder. They knew if convicted of this crime, at last they'd be rid of Nephi and the threat he posed. These dishonest men were doing what they always did, looking out for themselves. What happens next is my favorite part as I learned about the five. They were gutsy. After I read how the five stood toe-to-toe with the judges and let them have it, I was a fan. Let's read that verse. Verse 18. And it came to pass that the five were liberated on the day of the burial. Nevertheless, they did rebuke the judges in the words which they had spoken against Nephi, and did contend with them one by one, insomuch they did confound them. Think about this for a moment. Think about their decision to contend with the judges. It was risky. These were powerful men with powerful friends, and they knew it. Because they took the chance of being on the judges' blacklist or worse— The fact that they did something like this tells me a lot about the hearts of the five. They are changed. Just like the voices in the hostile crowd that spoke up for what was right and made a difference, the five did the same. They faced their fears and did the right thing, and great things came of it. When I compare what I thought was a random group of five volunteers to the newly converted, completely committed, valiant five, I was thankful I paid better attention and discovered a notable, dynamic, and influential storyline, which is not always notable, because it's in the midst of a dynamic and influential story. As I focused on the judge's self-absorbed mode of operation fueled by greed and dishonesty, and referred to the list of oaths I wrote from Chapter 6, The prophecy of Nephi and the judge's encounter with Siantum in the next chapter was mind-blowing for me. I look forward and I'm excited to share these discoveries with you. Until next time, it's not important you discover it first. It's more important you discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in Writing the Book of Mormon-Discussion Group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you, and I hope you have an amazing day.